Hey y'all, and welcome back to Building Better Brands, a new podcast where we share the stories of small businesses, their beginnings, their successes, their pain points, and their plans for the future. My name is Amy Angel, and I'm a marketing lecturer, a consultant, and a small business coach. And I'm joined again this week with Brianna Carcho. For those of you who met Brie last week, you know she's been actively searching for a type O living kidney donor for her father, Manuel. It's a campaign called Kidney for Carcho. Hey, Brie, welcome back. Thanks, Amy. It's great to be back. So what we want to do in an effort to appeal to a potential donor out there is share some valuable information this week. We want to share things like stats about kidney disease, explain what the donation process is like from evaluation to the surgery, share what the costs are if you are a potential donor, Uh, and by the way, the costs are next to nothing, and we even want to get into the different types of kidney donations. There's something called pair donation, when e- where even more lives can be saved. The goal here this morning is for a potential do- donor to have a glimpse of what their journey might look like in saving a life. And what better way to get this glimpse, if you will, or be educated than from somebody who's been at this for, should I say, 20-something years, a researcher, an MD, a renal transplant surgeon. His name's Dr. Michael Reese. Good morning, Dr. Reese. Thanks for being with us. How are you? Great. Nice to talk with you, Amy. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully y'all are having good weather where you are in Chicago and in Toledo. It looks gray here in uh, Plymouth, Michigan, but warm, warmer than uh, we've been having. So I hope it's good where y'all are. Yeah, I think the the spring weather is definitely ahead of us. And honestly, thank goodness, I was tired of the doom and gloom. Let's move to vaccines and good weather. <laughs> Absolutely, same. We're having a nice day. It's going to be sixty five in Toledo today. Sixty. Oh my gosh, that's nice. Wow. Yeah. Love that. All right, we've got to get a walk in at lunchtime then. <laughs> definitely. Okay. Uh, thanks again, y'all, for joining us this morning. Dr. Reese, how about you kick us off and tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and all the great work you've been doing over the years, especially with paired kidney donation? Sure. So I'm uh, I'm from originally from Flint, Michigan. Um, I grew up there until, uh, well, I, I stayed in Michigan my whole life until uh, I was done with medical school. So I went to college at a place called Hope College. I went to medical school at the University of Michigan. I'm a big big University of Michigan fan, but alas, I married a Buckeye and I live now in Toledo, Ohio. And that's been a lot of torture for me for the last 20 years. (laughs) So we we won't go further into that. No, Uh, let's not. I did general surgery in Ann Arbor. I did, uh, I'm a urologist. So I trained in urology at the University of Virginia in Charlottesville. I spent a little bit of time at the NIH doing research. And um, then I ended up going to Cambridge, England, where I did a transplant fellowship 
um, with a famous guy named Roy Kahn. He's one of the most famous transplant surgeons in the world. And he taught me a whole bunch of wonderful things. I also worked with a guy named Peter Friend, who was my actual direct mentor. And he's now the head of the transplant program at Oxford University. And I also got a PhD in immunology uh, together with Peter and a guy named David Grant, trying to figure out how to genetically engineer pigs so we could transplant <laughs> pig organs into people. So from a very young age, I was interested in trying to come overcome the organ shortage. So mm -hmm. the organ shortage is a real problem. There are 100,000 people waiting for a kidney, and there's probably two or three times that many people who also need a kidney but just aren't on our waiting list. Yeah. So there's a huge shortage of available kidneys every year. About 125,000 people develop end-stage renal disease, mm -hmm. whereas you know, 15% of the population has some form of kidney disease. So it's, it's this affects everybody, uh, either directly or through people that they love. Uh, but for, for kidney failure itself, it's about 125,000 people a year. And we are, we are only transplanting about 20,000 people a year. So there, there is a big shortage. And from mm -hmm. my early days of training back in the nineties, I was very interested in trying to help overcome that. Um, when I when I started my career in Toledo, where I've practiced my whole life, uh, I'm the surgical director of the kidney transplant program in Toledo. I um, thought my life would be uh, being a PhD scientist in a laboratory trying to do cool immunolo immunological research mm -hmm. and also doing transplants. But in fact, uh, very early on in my career, uh, one of one of one of my many mentors named Jimmy Light taught me about the idea of kidney exchange, and that really uh, set me on a path where I tried to do kidney exchange in Toledo. Uh, I couldn't find any matches, so I realized that we needed to build a a different uh, system. So my father is a computer programmer, and he wrote the world's first computer program that allowed people to uh, enter in willing but incompatible pairs from different transplant centers to see if we could find a match. So why did we need to do that? What is kidney exchange? So kidney exchange is, um, uh, let, me, let me first tell you that in 1999, if you came to me as a transplant uh, patient and you had somebody who loved you and we did the testing and we found out they had the wrong blood type or you had antibodies against them, I would shake my head and say, I'm so sorry. There's nothing we can do. You can't donate. There's the door. Mm -hmm. Go away. It never occurred to me that they that, that the donor of, of that pair had inside of them something that they could use for barter, something they could exchange for valuable consideration, something that they could give to somebody else in exchange for somebody else giving the person that they loved a kidney. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is because we have a law in the United States called the National Organ Transplantation Act that says that you cannot donate, receive, nor transfer a kidney for valuable consideration. So it never entered anybody's mind that, mm -hmm. that we could do this simple thing called a kidney exchange. And when uh, Jimmy Light explained this concept to me, it was like a light went off and I thought, wow, that's so cool. That's not yeah. changing something for valuable. You know, they were, they didn't want people to buy and sell kidneys. They didn't mm -hmm. want to stop people doing something so beautiful that I'll give my kidney to a stranger. If a stranger gives the person that I love a kidney, that's beautiful. Yeah. So right. I worked very hard to make that happen. 
Um, and finally, in 2007, we changed the law in the United States to, to amend NOTA to say that kidney paired donation or kidney exchange is not valuable consideration. And that really opened the door. Uh, kidney exchange wasn't growing very fast for, this, for the first seven years, but then it began to grow much faster. Uh, two big things happened in 2007. We passed that law, but I had been working, de developing software. A lot of other people have been doing that. And I, was, uh, I met with a guy named Alvin Roth. He's an economist at Harvard. And he had this really cool idea that instead of just having two people do a swap, that you could have multiple people get involved. So instead of just, you know, I, I love somebody, want to give them a kidney, and there's somebody else who loves their person, and I could give their person a kidney, and they could give my person a kidney. Alvin Ross suggested, well, you could do a three-way swap. You know, mm -hmm. one could give to two, two could give to three, three could give back to one. You could do a four-way swap, five-way swap. And then he had this really cool idea that, you know, sometimes there are nice people who come along who offer to give a kidney to a complete stranger and they don't, they don't need anything back. And he said, right now, what we do is we just give those kidneys to one person. What if we used such a beautiful gift to kick off a chain of pay it forward transplants? So <clears throat> I thought that was such an amazing idea that I worked with our software guys to modify our, our software program to be able to build chains instead of what we call cycles. So pay it forward chains instead of cycles that start mm -hmm. in the same place. And when we did that in 2007, for the first time ever, we created a pay it forward chain because a nice guy named Matt Jones from Northern Michigan in Petoskey, Michigan came forward and offered his kidney. And we were able to build a chain of transplants that over the course of three years transplanted 16 people. Wow. So it's super cool. That got published in the New England Journal of Medicine. And it has become the standard for how we do kidney exchange in the United States. And now we did that in 2007. So it's 14 years later. Um, you know, 15 to 20,000 people have received paired exchange pay it forward kidney transplants around the world. And so this is this, this idea has really helped save a lot of lives. Uh, and in 2012, Alvin Roth went on to win the Nobel Prize in economics uh, in part because of that, that wonderful idea of the pay it forward chain. Wow. And the other cool thing that's happened is back when we did this in 2007, there were probably 50 people who gave their kidney to a complete stranger. We call them altruistic or non-directed donors. And now more than 400 people a year do that because I think, I think people think that it's really cool that their gift can help even more than just one person. So I, I'm looking forward to speaking with you today about some of the other cool things that we're doing because what recently happened to us is, is a philanthropist made a major gift to a nonprofit that we started called the Alliance for Paired Kidney Donation. That started in 2006, and it was that mm -hmm. organization that made the first Pay It Forward chain and has done a bunch of other cool stuff. But now uh, we've we've had this gift, and it's allowing us to do some other cool things that are, are will be important for your listeners to learn about as we talk about kidney living donor uh, living kidney donation. Wow, uh, Mike, that's that's amazing. Quite the journey that you've had and quite the impact. I can't imagine the um, how rewarding it is to 
when matches are discovered. And uh, I'm curious though, how have people, so you've gone from 50 to 400 uh, altruistic donation uh, donors. Um, how are people finding out about this? Well, um, you know, when, when you, when you create change like that, it gets covered. The news programs love telling the beautiful stories of saving <laughs> all those lives. So it gets covered in TV shows in, you know, the, uh, these doctor shows they have on TV, they now have a, they, they have a situation where they're going to create a, a pay it forward chain. So there's been uh, actual, you know, segments of shows, there's been news shows, there's, there's newspapers, but you know, people were doing this long before there was a bunch of advertising for it. So mm -hmm. human beings are um, amazing creatures and can be really nice and selfless <laughs> and, and want to help somebody else. Uh, and this this concept is gaining traction in the world. Yeah. So some of those people uh, come across sites like the Alliance for Paired Kidney Donation. It's at paireddonation.org and learn more about it and then click a button that says, you know, I'd like to donate. And then we take them through a process uh, uh, that evaluates whether it's safe for them and really the right thing for them to do. Amy, I think you brought up a great point also of, you know, this is great and this is awesome of all this innovation and technology, but how do people know about that? And I think that that's, that's the huge question that was lingering in the back of my mind, because we have this innovation, we have this, this great work that's happening, but the most important thing is getting those non-directed donors to step forward to create these change. And how do we do that? And that's the cool section where the social sphere and the medical sphere intertwined, and that's how change really works. So um, I know that a lot of our campaigns that we've been working on, Amy, are with the sole goal of normalizing kidney donation. So I think that this, this conversation is the direct link that we needed to tie two together, right? Mm -hmm. um, having a really clear understanding of how we got to the point where we are today, and then looking forward to how do we share this information and what's the way, best way to go about it. And then that's where we, uh, we take our doctors and match them up with the marketeers and we take, we take to social media. Um, so it's really interesting for sure. Yeah. So well, on, on that note, Brie, you know, one <laughs> of the cool things about Alvin Roth is he won the Nobel prize for market design. Oh, did he? He is, he is considered the father of market design. He, so I mean, he, creativity. He, he, he likes An economist is, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. So he likes to understand the rules of a marketplace mm -hmm. and then to use um, economic uh, experimental research to try to simulate what the outcome might be, understanding those rules. And um, when, when he does that, he applies game theory to the concept and a then classic, figures yeah. out the best way to apply it and, and then works with guys like me to mm -hmm. deliver it to the marketplace. It's, it's I, truly revolutionary. Yeah. I've never really thought about what I do as the marketplace, but uh, I did a sabbatical with Al in 2016. And so I'm a little bit of a market design guy myself now, just a little tiny bit. Just a little bit. That's awesome. That is awesome. I love it. Okay. So we're, we're learning a little bit about paired donation. Bree, I know you started to explore that. Uh, and you're type A, you, uh, so you weren't a match for your dad because your father, Emmanuel's needing a type O living mm -hmm. kidney donor. 
And um, so you knew because of your research, you knew about the paired exchange program, but yeah. for the process. So Dr. Reese, can you tell us what this, you know, what it's like? Because, you know, or Bree, maybe both of y'all can tell us a little mm-hmm. bit. Bree, weren't you worried that if you gave your donor, your kidney to somebody else, that they might receive it before your father and, mm-hmm. and then that donor might change their mind and not give you know, donate to your father? I mean, what are those worries like? Yeah. Um, so I guess my story, it's, I was doing a di- actually a different type of paired exchange because it's non-directed, but it's pretty much directed because I had an intended recipient in mind. Um, so initially I knew that I was type A, I've kind of always known this and that my dad was type O. Um, so I stepped up to get tested because I wanted my dad to receive a kidney in exchange for me donating to somebody else. So my instance, it's a little bit, it's a little bit more tunnel vision, I guess, because I had a specific donor in mind and how they had set it up. I was getting tested at Beaumont Hospital. This is before I knew anything of Toledo. That's a whole other story of how I got connected to Dr. Reese. Um, but Yeah, they had said that if you would like to partake in paired exchange, we will put your information into the database and we'll try to create ideal matches. And if we find a a match and it works out for both parties, the surgeries will literally be scheduled on the same day and they would even be able to airlift organs and um, send them. So I, I truly, my biggest concern was, well, what if the day of the surgery, my surgeries began and then an hour later, the other donor is scared and they don't want to go forward with it, but my organ is already being transplanted. And they had assured me that that wasn't how it would work because they literally will plan the surgeries at the exact same time. The surgeons will phone each other and say, okay, are you clear to make incision one? Yes. Great. And then they would proceed. But what's really opened my eyes more recently is obviously learning more about how these non-directed chains can create such an impact. Um, but I mean, as we all discussed in the first episode, I was declined to move forward with donation because I had quite a few kidney stones and obviously the genetic history in my family. Um, but the more I learn, the more I'm trying to spread awareness about it because it can truly be a beautiful thing. And, um, yeah, so that's kind of how I got introduced to it initially. So Dr. Reese, how does the process work at Toledo? Well, let me let me go back to the the, the first question you asked Bree, which is, you know, she had this worry that she might donate her kidney and maybe her dad wouldn't actually get a kidney. So when we first started doing kidney exchange, as I said, it it was um, we have two pairs, pair one and pair two, and pair one, the donor of pair one gives to two, and the donor of pair two gives back to one, and we do a simple two-way swap. Well, we were all worried that somebody might cheat. So Amy, how would you avoid that? Contracts? I don't know. Well, so I actually approached a Duke Law professor and we thought about building contracts, but you cannot donate, receive, nor transfer a kidney for valuable consideration. And so it's really hard to build a contract around that. Any other ideas of how you would do a simple two-way swap and not have anybody be able to cheat? Well, like what I was saying, having the surgery scheduled the same exact day. And if exactly. one party chooses so, to not move forward. Yeah, that's exactly right. So when we did this for the first time and it got covered, I think, on CNN, they sent two news crews, one down to Cincinnati and <laughs> one up to Toledo. And they were in the operating room. And you can imagine they were filming the, the, the donor operations and what they, you know, they couldn't show the patients on the table. So they showed two surgeons you know, one in Toledo and one in Cincinnati and said, we're starting the surgery now. 
<laughs> Literally. That's how the TV show started kidney exchange is that we had to do all the transplants at exactly the same time. So you can imagine that in 2007, when Alvin Roth had this revolutionary idea that, that we could give a kidney to somebody and they could, they could, we could give it the kidney first, right? We would, mm-hmm. we would give your dad a kidney first, Bree, and then trust you to pay it forward. That's what, that's how a pay it forward chain works. So your dad receives the promised gift ahead of time. And the risk for you is that you might not choose to donate rather than that you might donate first and have your dad be harmed. So when we, when we, when we submitted this, it was turned down the first couple of times we submitted it because it was a pretty radical idea. Doctors don't like to trust people. Yeah. So this idea that we could trust people to pay it forward was quite revolutionary. And the reason we felt we could do it, and it took me several hours of explaining before I could see that you didn't have to do everything at the same time, because the harm that would be caused if somebody cheated would be very different. I'll try to explain that to you now very quickly. Yeah. If a nice person, uh, let's, let's say that you were going to do a two-way swap and let's mm-hmm. say you were going to do it with me. So I'll make me the bad guy. So I'm a bad guy and you're, you're wonderful. You want to give your dad a kidney. I want to give my, my whoever a kidney. And on day one, you give my whoever a kidney. And I say, nah, 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 I'm not going to give your dad a kidney. Mm-hmm. You would be harmed, but your dad would also be harmed. Your dad would be harmed because he didn't get the promised gift. And mm-hmm. you would be harmed because you lost your kidney, your ability to help your father get a kidney without receiving one. Mm-hmm. So we would never let that happen. As, as one of the guys who was involved very early on in kidney exchange, we would never do a kidney exchange except simultaneously. So I remember Johns Hopkins did a six-way on a Saturday. And of course, that's the only day you could do it because you'd need 12 operating rooms, six donors and six recipients. And that's when the OR wasn't busy. You could never do a six-way during the week when the operating rooms are full of brain surgeries and orthopedic surgeries and whatnot. So it was a big deal to do a six-way. We did a 16-way. We brought in the idea of time. When we, when we started doing these chains, the, the title of the paper was uh, Non-Simultaneous Extended Altruistic Donor Chains. <laughs> you didn't have to do them at the same time. Wow. Right? We wanted yeah. to call them the never-ending chain, but the New England Journal of Medicine wouldn't let, them call, wouldn't let us call them that. So we called it the non-simultaneous. It's the need chain. There's a need for kidneys, right? Mm-hmm. So, so this concept then allowed us to um, have a, Matt, the nice guy, came and gave his kidney to yeah. Barb. And uh, Barb's hus- husband, Ron, was, was supposed to give to somebody who was supposed to give to somebody. And I was going to do three transplants. But, but the, the, the idea got rejected by the New England Journal of Medicine as saying, you know, you can't trust people. This isn't going to work. Uh, and then people will lose faith in the whole idea of kidney exchange. Yeah. So I said, well, let's do the experiment. So I broke it instead of doing, th- I, I figured if we did three transplants and then somebody cheated, well, then at least Matt's gift would have created three transplants instead of one. And who could complain mm-hmm. of that? But um, what what we did is I gave the kidney to, to Barb and then I trusted Ron for a week. He was in Arizona, right? 
Mm-hmm. He had he came up to Toledo when uh, his wife got a kidney down in Arizona. Matt traveled from Michigan to Arizona. We used to make donors travel. Now we ship kidneys. So Matt <laughs> flew to Arizona. And then Ron came up to Toledo a week later after his wife had recovered. And he donated his, his kidney to Angie. And Angie's mom, Lori, gave her kidney to somebody down in, in Columbus, Ohio. Uh, but they did that two months later. And then six months later, we continued the chain. And then months later, we did it again and again. And so we had segments of two transplants and three transplants. And eventually, over three years, we did 16 kidney transplants. And by incorporating the concept of time, we could help a lot more people. That's really what was revolutionary. And that's why it got into the New England Journal of Medicine, because that's where new ideas kind of get vetted. And, and obviously it worked because now that's the way we do it. But it was very revolutionary. This question is a very important question. How do you know we're not going to get cheated? And it just, it doesn't happen. The, the aspect of time that you mentioned and starting the chain with the altruistic donor, I think is what was revolutionary in, in making this more applicable. Because even thinking about, again, I'm putting my social media hat on. If I were to advertise that, we could create a chain. And that you wouldn't just be helping this one person, you would be able to help all these other people. Um, now it comes into explaining the shorthand where it, they can truly see the impact, but it truly is insane when, again, I said this last time, when you start to pull the layers back behind kidney donation and the impact of this gift and how it doesn't just affect that one person, um, it affects so many others. I mean, even myself, I'm a direct product of kidney donation. My two other brothers are a direct product of it. The five grandchildren are a direct product of it because that one person donated. And that's not even looking at the people who were relieved from my aunt donating on the wait list or things like that. You know, um, it's truly just an insane, an insane space where really cool things happen when you disrupt the, the traditional model, I'd say. Super cool. So, Mike, I keep coming back to this word promise. And you, I wrote down, doctors don't like to trust people. Well, then I wrote down, sometimes patients don't like to trust people either. <laughs> right? Yeah. So I'm, I'm going back to this word promise. So can you take us through the economics of the kidney donation process? And, um, and the promise behind the economics, you know, what is it going to cost if I'm a donor, a potential donor rather, uh, or anybody out there who's listening, who's considering donating their kidney, what is it going to cost? And what, what am I, you know, what are we looking at? Well, this is, this is where our financial gift uh, comes into play because until recently, um, you not only, um, had to um, take 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 a risk, you know. Don't going through a big operation, donating a kidney uh, doesn't come easy. You had to take the big risk of doing that, and 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 you had to pay for it. So you had to pay for your travel. You had to take time off of work. Um, if you were a non-directed donor, one of the things I think people worried about was, well, what if somebody I love needs a kidney, right? So, yeah. so you're taking all of these these risks. So with the, with the gift that we've been given for, for uh, the first time ever, we're creating something called the Donor Protection Program. And we are going to make the act of kidney donation, we are making the act of kidney donation financially neutral. Now you can't pay people to donate kidneys because that's illegal. You can't donate a kidney, receive a kidney, nor transfer a kidney for valuable consideration. That's the law in the United States. 
-hmm. But there's the law actually says that you should pay for all of the expenses associated with it, but we don't. We, we, we cause the donor to have to do that or the recipient to have to do that. There's a wonderful program called the National Living Donor Assistance Center that will help, but it only helps people that are within 300 or 350% of the poverty line. And, you know, there's a lot of, um, it, it, it takes a fair amount of work to prove uh, that for either the donor or the recipient. So with our program, there's no salary uh, requirements. Uh, we only need to know your salary if you if you want to have lost wages. So our program has three financial protections. One, we provide uh, lost wage support for up to a month of, of time off of work. Uh, so we provide up to $2,500 a week for up to four weeks or up to $10,000 of lost wages. So if you're Bill Gates and you want to donate a kidney, <laughs> we can't pay your month of lost wages, but we can uh, give you up to $2,500 a week. Mm -hmm. uh, we will pay for all of the travel expenses to get evaluated, to donate your kidney for the follow-up care. And, um, and then the other thing that we do is we provide a, a life and complication insurance policy for up to a million dollars should the worst thing happen, which is you can die donating a kidney and very, very, very rarely that happens, but it does. And when it does, obviously we should be taking really good care of the family of, of that person. Uh, but we also wanna take care of, of the, the people who are accompanying them in traveling. There's, there's risks for the accompanying person if they get on an airplane or they get in a car and they go for a long drive. So the, we cover the financial risks, but there's also that risk that, well, what if I donate a kidney and somebody in my family, what if I donate for a stranger and then somebody that I love and care about, maybe you're 25 years old and you're thinking about doing it and you're not married and you don't have kids, but you want to get married and you want to have kids. So you don't even know who your future spouse or kids are. What if they need something in the future? What if one of my brothers or sisters, mom or dad, grandpa or grandma? And so we, we've created something called the Alliance for Paired Kidney Donation, the APKD Kidney Pledge. And it says that if you donate a kidney as a non-directed donor and anybody in your family needs a kidney in the future, we will end one of our pay it forward chains to, the, to that person in your family. So you can trust that just like you gave a kidney to help others, mm -hmm. uh, that system will help you if you ever need it. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's, it's, I even, I think, I don't know if this is true and correct me if I'm wrong. I think that that donor protection program doesn't even cover if you have pets, they can help pay for it to take care of your pets during your recovery. Yeah. If you're, if you, <laughs> you know, if your grandparents, your, 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 your mom or dad stay at your house, your grandparents, and, and you have to travel and you need elder care or child care or pet care, uh, we, we can, we can help take care. We, we don't want there to be a, a financial cost. We want the act of kidney donation to be financially neutral. That's yeah. truly amazing. Um, and in other programs too, outside of Toledo, I know that the recipient's insurance covers a majority of the things because typically they have primary and Medicare as well, um, or at least that's the case for us when we were listed at other hospitals. So just it's always be been the case that for the donor, there's no medical cost. Yes. That's always yes. been the case. That the, but all these other factors the like lights and there's, yeah. There's no cost to donate, but there was a cost, right? Because you had to take time off. Time. And yeah. Travel. You had to do these things. And now we're making it so truly there is no financial cost. Mm -hmm. There's, there's just the, the cost of, of having a, a surgery and, and uh, recovering from it. Definitely. It's awesome. So we know ways to not to donate. We, you've taken us through the process. We know 
about paired kidney donation now. We know um, what that our expenses are covered. We know the promise, especially all the great things that APKD um, promises. Uh, and it, it's, it seems pretty painless, but we haven't covered what's the surgery actually like for the donor. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Dr. Sure. Well, you know, the most important part of the surgery isn't the surgery. It's the evaluation before the surgery. <laughs> yes. So we <laughs> turn down as we did with Bree, uh, more than 50% of the people who come forward and want to donate a kidney. So we only let the healthiest of the healthy donate. And we do that in part because the last thing we want to do is, as doctors is take this beautiful person who wants to do this beautiful thing and harm them. So we want to make sure that, that, that we're very confident that they're not going to be harmed by that. Now, there was a study in Scandinavia where they looked at all the people who donated their kidneys and all the people, all the, everybody else, and they found out that people who donate their kidneys live longer than the average person. So we were obviously doing a good job of picking who to let donate because they actually, it didn't harm them. It didn't seem like it harmed them because they lived a longer life. But then we had some researchers in the United States who did a slightly more sophisticated study because of course, if you take the healthiest of the healthy and you let them donate, then on average, they're probably gonna live better, longer than the average person. Yeah. So what they wanted to know was, well, what if we take the healthiest of the healthy and then let them donate and compare the healthiest of the healthy to the healthiest of the healthy as opposed mm -hmm. to the average person. And in that case, there probably is a little bit of increased risk of developing kidney disease if you've donated a kidney, but the risk is very, very small, uh, but it is, it is increased. And it's hard to explain exactly how that works to people because the risk is very small, but it's real, right? Mm -hmm. So I think most people who want to donate a kidney know that they're taking some risk. And we, as the medical community, are very careful not to let people take too much risk. But yeah. even between different healthy people, there's different levels of risk, right? If you're if you're right. if you're 25 years old, you've got a lot more years of risk than if you donate your kidney when you're 75 years old. And by the way, the oldest person I've let donate a kidney was 81 years old, wow. and he donated to his 78 year old brother. And, uh, oh my God! They both. Um, they both now passed on, but the, the donor, I think lived for another 10 years and the recipient lived for seven years and they, they died of things not related to kidney disease. Wow. So, so, um, you know, age doesn't mean it, it really is about your health and whether we believe it's safe. So, so the surgery really begins with the evaluation and we, mm -hmm. we spend about $5,000 evaluating everybody who wants to donate a kidney. Okay. And if, and if we clear them, then the surgery. So the surgery is indeed a, a big surgery. We're, we're going to cut you open and we're going to remove one of your kidneys, but we've got a, a lot better at it over the last 20 years. And when I started, when I started, we made a big cut on people and we went down and with my hands, we would literally remove the kidney. Now we do laparoscopic surgery. Uh, people used to stay in the hospital for three or four days. Now we actually have some people go home the same day and sometimes, and but most times they go home the next day. Uh, it hurts, uh, but but the pain is such that you can control it for the most part with pills, and you can go home the day after the surgery. And then you know it's a it's a big surgery, um, and and it takes takes a couple two to four weeks to recover. So it's a it's a real operation, 
uh, but it but you're literally saving somebody's life when when somebody receives a kidney transplant mm-hmm. on average they live 10 years longer than the same person had they had they remained on dialysis and that's yes. really for the cease donor transplantation we don't know the numbers exactly for living transplantation but it's 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 more than 10 years right so um no question it is a beautiful beautiful gift and um we have learned a ton here that is helpful for all of us uh listening who might consider saving a life can you tell us what your plans are for the future so we've talked a lot um uh about a lot of things i imagine you have plans um you know, uh, big plans globally, maybe? Uh, can you shed some light on on what you're working on right now? Yeah, so uh, just like we've removed some of the financial barriers for donors, we'd like to remove some of the financial barriers that people face around the world. Um, you know, we're lucky in the United States. Most of us have access to healthcare and most of us have access to healthcare that's paid for by a third party. Mm-hmm. But in in if we go out to the rest of the world, two to 7 million people a year die because they can't afford dialysis or transplantation. So we have some, we have some strategies where we think we might be able to help some of those people. And in addition, in most countries of the world, for most of the world's population, they can't, they don't have access to doing a kidney exchange right now in Pakistan. If you, if you love somebody and you want to give them a kidney and you don't match, then they, the only choice they have is to remain on dialysis because they don't have a deceased donor program and they don't mm. have kidney exchange. They so don't have like a deceased donor program either. Wow. They don't have a deceased donor program either. So we would like to uh, change that and to provide our software. Um, our our three-year goal is to provide it to 25% of the world's population. Wow. That's great. And that's that's the rejuvenate health. Um, so essentially, that's global paired exchange. So taking it from a national level to a global level. I know mean, that the first time I heard about that, I was blown away. <laughs> so that that's still the Alliance for Paired Kidney Donation. Oh, okay. So so that's we are. It's our software that we want to serve twenty five percent of the world's population. Gotcha. You mentioned rejuvenate healthcare. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a new organization we've we've begun to work with to work with U.S. healthcare payers because it turns out that. Um, that the cost of, of dialysis is three times the cost of a kidney transplant. Wow. So there's, there's a yeah. lot of opportunity for healthcare payers to invest today to save money over time by eliminating dialysis. So we have the Alliance for Paired Donation that really mm-hmm. wants to try and help recipients and their incompatible donors. We have Rejuvenate, which is facing the payers and trying to figure out how to cover the cost of things. And we've also started a new organization called Kidneys in Common. Mm-hmm. And the idea of Kidneys in Common is that, or Kidneys in Communities, we mm-hmm. all have communities that we work with. And, um, you know, kidney donation is generally done by people who love and care about each other. Mm-hmm. And some of us are extraordinary enough that we would do that for people that are not within our community. But I think a lot more people might do it if they knew that they were donating for somebody within a special community to them, within their yeah. church family, within um, their fraternity, within their work group, within their school. So there's lots of, you know, they served in the military together. So there's lots of different ways that we could 
have people think about how to donate within their community. And then we'll have to do market design to think about how to build in the preferences of the donor with how we select the people that are within the chains and do that in an ethical and beautiful fashion. So, so many cool layers in this space where the social sphere, the medical sphere, and the economic sphere combine. Like you've said it multiple times, but transplantation truly is a team sport and yeah, on so many levels. Other, you know. Yeah, I never the, really thought about how large the ecosystem really is. And, yeah. Uh, it is beautiful. Oh, gosh, y'all. So um, this has been a really um, fun morning, meaningful morning to just learn and see what we can do to uh, help your dad, Bree, find a living kidney donor to learn more from you, Dr. E. So thank you so much. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Building Better Brands. Brianna Carcho, uh, Dr. Michael Reese, thanks for being with us this morning. Um, thanks for your great work, meaningful work, helping save lives and spread awareness about kidney disease uh, and educating us about the donation process. Um, listeners, please spread the Kidney for Carcho story to help find Manuel, a type O living kidney donor. Follow Kidney for Carcho on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Uh, even their website, and check out all the meaningful work Dr. Reese is doing on paireddonation.org. Thanks, everyone. Have a great day. Bye, y'all. Thank you. Bye-bye.